would, and turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 this morning. This is the last message in Mark. The last message in Mark. We have been preaching Mark for two years, actually almost two years exactly. I looked in my notes, and the first message was the greatest disciple of Peter, Paul, and Mary. How many of you remember that message? The greatest disciple of Peter, Paul, and Mary. And I preached that two years ago. I think it was April the 18th in 2021. And now we're in the last, last several verses, starting in verse 9. And we will read 9 to the end of the chapter, verse 20. So Mark chapter 16, verse 9, and end of verse 20. Now when Jesus was, was risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that he had been with him, and they, and they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive, when they had seen her of her, and believed not. After that he appeared in an, another form unto two of them, as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, either believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them with the unbelief and hardness of heart because they had believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and, it, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, they shall, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into the heaven and sat on the right hand of God and went forth and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. How precious it is. We are grateful that we have the Word of God, and each one of us can read it. It's not chained to a pulpit where a very select few can understand it, and then it had to be interpreted to each person. We have a copy of the Word of God. Each one of us has the Word, and we're thankful for it. And I pray, God, as this last section of Mark is proclaimed, that you'd help us to understand it, that, God, you'd give me the words to be able to explain it, that, Father, we would know the importance of it, and we would be changed by it. We ask that you would be with us, Father. Be one in this room who does not know Jesus Christ, your dear Son, is our Savior. Oh, dear Father, we ask again that you save that person before it's too late. And be with us as saints. May each one of us grow because of what we've heard and seen today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Of all the passages of scriptures to end with in the book of Mark, this is the most controversial passage. Actually, one of the most controversial passages in the entire Bible. If you have anything but a King James Bible, you will notice that these verses are either not there, or they're bracketed, or there's a note saying in other versions, older, sometimes the phrase is used better, versions, these are not in the Bible. But we at... North Gainesville Baptist Church for almost 33 years have used the King James Bible. And there's a reason for that because we stand on it. We believe, first of all, the Word of God is inspired by God. 
The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, All scriptures give my inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Secondly, we believe it's inerrant, meaning it's not just inspired, God breathed, it's perfect. It's perfect, it's inerrant. Psalm 12, verse 6, The word of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them for this generation forever. And as we read in that last verse, we believe not only it's inspired, we believe not only it's inerrant, perfect, we believe thirdly it's preserved for us today. For what good would an inspired word be? What good would an inerrant word be if we didn't have it today? And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, some, a verse that Brother Pete shared in Sunday school. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass away, one jot or one tittle shall not wise pass from the law till all, till all be fulfilled. God is going to complete what he said he's going to complete. It shall not pass away. So it's inspired word, inspired from God. These are not just the mere men's of uh, words of men some people have get inspiration from nature or from other people and write inspiring words but there's only one book and there always will only will always be one book that's inspired by God and that's the Bible other books may be inspirational I, I read inspirational books all the time I got a few of them in my library to my wife's chagrin but there's only one inspired book and that's the word of God for eight over 1800 years there was no question about this passage but in 18 1880 there was two manuscripts and remember these this is not the original original was copied painstakingly by Jewish Jewish scholars and give it and written in manuscript form and for 1800 years it was just this group of manuscripts over 5,000 in existence and they were the received text they call it the Texas Receptus but in 1800s there were some other documents found and some people begin to translate from those documents those manuscripts which they believe some of them went back further and again I'm not going into the weeds of all that and if you want to know more information about this I have a whole shelf full to tell you and you, you can at your leisure read all about this and it is a very interesting and important study but what I want to say to you is you can confidently believe this is the Word of God and these verses verses 9 through 20 are in the Word of God they were for 1800 years and I believe they are still today thus I'm preaching in the day though I actually this last week I listened to sermon after sermon after sermon by people who said I'm not going to preach this because I'm not really sure if it's in there or not well I'm saying I believe it's in there and I'm preaching it because I believe and trust in this book and I hope you too do too so just briefly we see our confidence in the word of God but I want to focus of course the majority of our time on the content of the word of God the content of the word of God this morning, I want to share with you five effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we conclude the Mark, gospel of Mark. Five effects of the gospel of Christ as we conclude the gospel of Mark. First of all, the gospel confronts. The gospel confronts. Look at verse 9. Now, Jesus, when he was 
risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast out seven, de seven devils or seven demons. We see, the, we see the appearance to these damsels. The privilege of the damsel. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, as we mentioned even last week, as being Easter. There was a group of ladies who went to the tomb. It was early that first day of the week, the first day of the week being Sunday. And she went, being the youngest, maybe a little more athletic than the other ladies, she went first, got a little further. She saw, remember as we mentioned last week, she saw that the, roll, the stone was rolled away. And immediately, maybe again because of her youth, uh, maybe because of her inexperience, she was shocked. She was afraid. And she ran back to tell the disciples exactly what was going on. The other disciples, little ladies, a little older, they peeked in. They looked in. Remember, they had a conversation with the angels we looked at last week. And she, of course, she, she, she eventually had the opportunity to, to speak to Jesus. He said the privilege of the damsel, the purifying of the damsel. What do we know about this lady, Mary Magdalene? She had seven devils, seven demons cast out of her. She is one who loved Jesus. Why? To be cleansed of much, she loved much. How do you, how do you tell if somebody loves Jesus? By their activity, by their action, by their love, by their language, by their life. If somebody was hired as a private investigator to detail your life would they say that you love Jesus Christ by your language by your lifestyle by what you like or would they not be able to gather enough evidence I guarantee if you follow Mary Magdalene you're going to be able to say about her she loved Jesus she was a follower of Jesus. Could it be said of you this morning I am a follower I'm a disciple I love Jesus Christ. I hope it could be. We see the privilege, the purifying, the proclamation that she was the one who encountered ultimately the Christ as we find in John chapter 20. We see that she proclaimed this word to the, to the disciples. It says in verse 10, she went and told them that they had been with him. She told the disciples. Now the disciples, of course, were afraid, scared, Basically, at this point, their whole world had been changed. This person, Jesus of Nazareth, had come doing these many miracles as we've been talking about for two years. We saw the many miracles he did. Chapter 1, looking at how he cast out demons from the temple. Remember that sermon many, many, many moons ago? Many, many two years ago. He did wondrous works. He caused the blind to see. Lepers, skin turning actually white, he made them whole. Gave the blind eyes so they could see. They thought this person would be the Messiah to come not just to save them spiritually, but more important to them immediately to save them physically. That's what their hope was. Now he's dead. The Messiah, the one they believed to some degree might be God, they they recognized he's dead. They saw, some of them saw him beaten, heard he was crucified. There was only, of course, one there of the original disciples, that being John. So we see the disciples, we see their despondency. They mourned and wept, verse 10, and we see their disbelief. They believed not. Even though Jesus has told them this is exactly what's going to happen, 
I'm going to go. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again the third day. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. He said that. He told that to them. They didn't get it. Or maybe they chose not to get it. Sometimes we have what some ladies refer to as selective hearing. Any of you men ever been accused of selective hearing? You hear what you want to hear, not what actually was said. I don't believe they wanted to hear that. Of course, when, when it was mentioned to Peter, as we said, he's, Jesus ultimately had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter didn't want to hear the fact that Jesus was going to be crucified. So, we see the appearance of the damsels, but in verse 12 and 13, look at it again, we see the appearance of the duo. There's a group of people, these two men, who are walking on their way to Emmaus. Now, if you want to look, up, look at a further detail of their conversation, you can read it in Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. We won't take the time to read that whole passage this morning. But Jesus, the Bible says, has a different manner of appearance. The Bible says in verse, in verse 12, he appeared in another form. No, I don't know exactly what all that means, but basically he made it where he was not recognizable as Jesus, the one who had been following him, been following him for the last three years. He, he appeared in a different form, and they began to have a conversation. You see, the manner of the appearance, but the moment of the appearance, they walked and went into a country. They began to have a conversation, talking about what had just happened. And if you read that conversation, and I encourage you to do so, you'll see he acts as if he does not know what's actually going on, and they begin to inform him. Don't you know what's been happening? Don't you know? And then he begins to preach to them, to teach them things from the Old Testament, bringing all things together so they could actually, for themselves, understand ultimately who he was. The manner of the appearance, the moment of the appearance, the ministry after the appearance, they went and told it to the residue. Who's the residue? The rest of the disciples. They came to the place and they recognized the fact that this was Jesus. And remember that phrase that you did not, our hearts burn within us. They recognized the fact, though he was not at first recognizable, but through his speech and the breaking of the bread. Remember that, those, those words, those great words by Jesus, come and dine. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. By his speech and by the breaking of the, red, of the bread, they recognized this person who they did not see at first and understand who it was at first was Jesus Christ. And they went and told it to the residue. They went and told it to the rest of the disciples. How did the disciples respond? Oh, I can't believe it. He came. No, the Bible says neither they believed them. So they didn't believe what Jesus said to them. They didn't believe what the ladies said to them, Mary Magdalene specifically, and they didn't believe what these two other disciples believed. believed. They, didn't believe, they didn't believe either one of either, either the three. You ever told somebody something and they just never believed you? And you tell them over and over and over and over and over. And it seems as, what are you, what, what is going on? And then when they finally believe you, they say to you, I can't believe it. You can't believe it. I've been telling you. I've been telling you. I've been telling you. Would you just believe? You know what happened? You know what it takes to believe? 
It takes more than just mental assent. It takes a step of faith. For years and years and years, growing up in Taylor's, Greenville, South Carolina, I was told, believe, believe, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I've heard that verse seems like a million times. Had to quote it. Memorize it, dissect it, preach it, proclaim it. But it wasn't until I was 17, 33 years ago yesterday, April the 15th, 1989, Taylor, South Carolina, 525 Taylor's Road, that I believed. See, it's not just mental assent, it's an action. It's taking what you understand and doing something with it. There's a difference from people who say, I believe in God. A lot of people say they believe in God, but the God that they believe in is a figment of their imagination. They do not believe in the God of the Bible. There's a lot of people stand before God one of these days and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, you believed in your God. You did not believe in me. You did not believe in me. And there's people in churches and maybe in this church this morning, all over the world, who's sitting there thinking, I believe, I'm a believer. And they're believing in a God, but that God cannot be found in these scriptures. That's why you have to know this book. Because this book tells of a God who's holy and true and righteous and pure. But loving. Which God are you believing in this morning? A God of your imaginations? A God of your fathers, and a lot of people believe in the God of their fathers because your concept of God depends on what your parents are like, especially when you're very young. Hopefully that changes. To be even better if you have good parents or maybe totally different if you don't have such good parents. What's your concept of God? Because what you believe about God determines everything about you. So we see the gospel confronts, but secondly, the gospel corrects. Look at verse 14. We see the principle of criticism. They abraded them with, he abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. What did he do? He corrected them. <laughs> he corrected them. <laughs> your hardness of heart, your unbelief, don't you believe in me? He's been with them, these, these, this 11, for nearly over three years, and they still don't believe, so he has to correct them. What is the problem? The heart of the problem is always a problem of the heart, and it starts with unbelief. A lot of people say, my issue is with cigarettes, or drinking, or immorality, or with hypocrites. No, your biggest issue is you don't believe. Your biggest issue is you don't want to believe. I thought, when I, I, thought if, I thought to be saved, I had to be obedient to my parents. I had to go to church every time the door was open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday night. I had, okay, I had to quit drinking. I had to quit smoking and run around with people who do. I had to quit all those things. No, friends, it's not that. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, he has all of you. It doesn't, be, it doesn't have to worry about that. He changes you, not from, the, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. The problem, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. Why do people struggle with all these issues and many, many more that I don't even have time to discuss this morning? Because there's a heart problem. 
It's not a, it's, it's not a, it's not a, I, 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 no, it's what's your heart? Are you, are you willing to change? Because your heart, we see the principle of criticism, but the particular criticism, verse 14, they believed not them, they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. They wouldn't believe. So the gospel confronts, the gospel corrects, corrects unbelief. And one of the number one problem people have is they just are not willing to believe. No, they'll believe in fairy tales. They'll believe in unicorns. They'll believe in dragons. They'll believe in crazy stuff. They believe men can be women and men can be women. Men, women can be men. And everything in between that. They'll believe stuff that's just, I mean, that people used to go be locked up in a loony bin for thinking stuff like that. There used to be a day when people said, hey, you know, you're starting talking crazy. You might want to put you somewhere. But today, you know what that is? The abnormal has become normal. And friends, let me tell you, it's going to get a whole lot more abnormal. It's going to get a whole lot more abnormal. The gospel confronts. The gospel corrects. The gospel confronts. The gospel confronts, corrects. The gospel, thirdly, comforts. Look at verse, look at this verse, chapter 16, verse 14. It says, And afterward he appeared unto them eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which they had seen him after he had risen. So didn't he mean he, he corrects them? But what is God's purpose in that? He's ultimately comforting them. He's helping them. The Bible says, and we see his care, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. If you are a good parent, you correct your children. That's what good parents do. Your son or daughter is doing something they shouldn't be doing. You know it's wrong. They know it's wrong. You choose to correct them. If you choose not correct them, you're not loving them. You're actually hating them. You see, God, who is the perfect father, he sees, our, he sees us as his children, and he chooses in his own way to correct us. How many of you have been taken to the woodshed spiritually because of your disobedience? Well, if you've been saved, you have been. You may, not, you may have thought, man, that flat tire was a bad time. Maybe not. Oh, man, I, I got sick. I got real sick. I wonder how that happened. You think, you, you mean to say God can cause, he's God. God, who knows the very hairs of our head, some of us have less than others. Don't you think he could do what he needs to do to his children to get their attention? Yeah, he can. You see his care, we see his children. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, I know Brother Pete will be going over this. It says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as son, with sons, or for what son is whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, without dis being disciplined, wherefore are, are all partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. He's saying there, the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you're not being, if you're not being disciplined by God, you're a bastard. That means you're not a child of God. I've been spanked a lot by God. I know I'm a child of God. When God told me to do something, I knew it was, I knew it was wrong to do. I did it anyways, and he corrects me. Sometimes instantly, sometimes down the road, sometimes in lots of different ways and forms and fashions, but he corrects. And dear friend, don't think God's mean. No, God loves you. He cares. 
If God corrects you, that means he cares about you. He cares about you. Gospel confronts, corrects, comforts. In verses 18 through 15 through 18, he calls. Look at verse 15. It says, go in all the world. The place of the commission. This is called the Great Commission. One of the places is mentioned. The place of the commission. Go in all the world. It didn't say just Gainesville. It didn't just say Alachua County. It didn't, say, it didn't say just Florida. It didn't say United States of America. It said go to all the world. That's why we, we promote foreign missions. Here in the states, here in this city, yes, we're busy, as we were yesterday, knocking on doors, inviting people to church, down at the University of Florida, giving tracts, encouraging people to go, going to the nursing homes, ministering in different places. Yes, in this city, this is our Jerusalem. We should minister from here. We all should be ministering out there in Jerusalem in some way, some form, some fashion. But not only that, not only this city, but into all of Alachua County, in all of the state of Florida, in all of the country, in all of the world. That's why we have these little forms right here that gives towards missions that goes all over the world. Sorry, Brother Pat. That's why we support missions all over the world. Mozambique. <laughs> yeah, we got a missionary there. In Ireland, we got a missionary there. And a few in the Philippines, we got a few missionaries there. And several, more than I could imagine, in Africa. Remember it was when you were a kid, people say, I don't want to be a missionary. God has sent me to Africa. We got some folks that said, I'm going to Africa. We got folks all over the world. And maybe one of these day, days we're going to have a guy named Nate Tannehill who's going to minister to death going to New Zealand. He's training right now to be a missionary to New Zealand. Yeah, going to all the world. And what do you do when you go all the world? Preach the gospel. That means proclaim it. Herald it. Tell the people about it. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ is death, burial, and resurrection. Tell others what God has done for you. You say, I'm no preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to preach. And all the husbands said, well, y'all were quiet. Y'all were quiet. Y'all were real quiet. Y'all were real quiet today. Y'all, you can do better than that. But I won't make you say anything because I know you like lunch. No, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a pastor to preach. It means to proclaim, to tell somebody to herald it, to say it, to speak it. The place of the commission, the preaching the commission, the promise in the commission that he that believeth is baptized shall be saved and he that believeth not shall be damned. That's the truth. That's the truth right there. What's it start with? I talked about it, belief. What's the second part? Action. Now again, we could go on this whole thing about, it says, now he says here, believe and be saved. And I would believe you have to be, be saved and baptized if it was true in every other passage, but it doesn't. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth and be baptized, no. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, no. It said, but it says, it doesn't say whosoever called upon the name of the Lord and be baptized shall be saved. A brother, brother Eric was out yesterday and a guy was trying to talk to him about, now you've got to be saved and baptized. And I said, what about that thief on the cross? He said, even he, I told him that, he still didn't believe me. <laughs> and we talked about the importance of being saved and then being scripturally baptized. So we see the place and the commission, the preaching and the commission, the promise and the commission, the proof of the commission. And these signs shall follow them that believe. 
What did they do? Well, in verse 17, in my name they shall cast out devils and demons. God gave these people, these apostles, these disciples, and you can read it in the book of Acts, and I encourage you to do so, special gifts, special talent to show that they had the power of God on their lives. They cast out demons. We see the demons. We see the defense. They shall take up serpents. If they shall drink any deadly thing, that shall not hurt them. You wouldn't have to tell Brother Eric that. He ain't going to take up no serpent no matter what happens. He's not going to take up a serpent. And if they eat any dreadly, deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Now, dear friends, don't go out there and say, I'm going to go drink me some Ajax or some, or some uh, Clorox or some bleach. And, and, and because the preacher said, you know, they had the Holy Spirit and they can do it, it won't harm it. No, dear friends, that was the apostles. There's no apostles in this room. I guarantee you, because you have not seen Jesus, you've not been with Jesus, you're not an apostle. We're all disciples, but we're talking about apostles here, people that God uses in specific ways. So we see the works of demon, the defense, the dialect. They spake with new tongues. God gave the ability to speak in tongues. These were known languages. Well, that's a sermon in itself. I won't go there. You say, preacher, can God still do things? He can do anything but sin. He can do anything but fail. God can do miraculous works today. But I'm saying primarily he does not do these things today. And the reason being because we have the finished, complete word of God. You know what they had back in? All they had was the Old Testament. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have the, the writings of, of Paul and, and, and Peter and Jude, they, they didn't have that. All they had was the Old Testament. So God specially gave them gifts to prove who they were. And we see it especially in the books, the book of Acts. And they were taking care of their disease. The Bible says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So we see the, the gospel confronts, it corrects, it comforts, it calls. And finally, this morning, the gospel completes. We see the ascension of the Lord in verse 19. And so then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat on the right hand of God. You remember, there was 40 days after his crucifixion. For 40 days, he spent talking, telling, preaching, proclaiming, helping, ministering, encouraging his disciples, his apostles. We see the preaching before the ascension. Then, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, in the power of the disciples, he was received up into heaven. Then position after the session, after the ascension. It was a position of honor. He sat on the right hand of God. And you know what, friends? That's exactly where he is right now. He's at the right hand of God. You know what he's doing? He's making intercession for us. Aren't you glad? Jesus Christ right now is on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his children. That's where he is right now. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, being by the right hand of God exalted. It's a position of holiness, the right hand of God, and it's a position of help. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Christ who, even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Romans chapter 7, verse 25, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Sometimes as Christians, we don't know what to pray. You ever been there? You don't know what to pray. You don't know how to pray. And sometimes we get to the point in life where we just can't pray. You ever been there? The pain and the problem, the pain is so hard, the problem is so big, you can't even pray. 
And in those moments, the Lord Jesus maketh intercession for us. Maketh intercession for us. Dear friend, let me say to you this morning, you're not in this thing alone. <laughs> you're not by yourself. Sometimes you can be in a crowd of a million people and feel like you're just by yourself alone, but you're not alone. Even Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who shed his blood, who was buried, who rose again, is making intercession. He thinks about you. He cares about you. He prays for you. Oh, how wonderful he is. We see the activity for the Lord. We see the ascension of the Lord, but in verse 20, we see the activity for the Lord. The Bible says the pursuit of their activity. We see the pursuit of their activity. They went forth. After Jesus ascended into heaven, they had to make a decision. Okay, what are we going to do now, fellas? We're going to go back to fishing? What are we going to do? We're going to believe this? He, he's gone. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, he saw him going in the clouds, and I'm sure they stood there for a while looking and looking to see who could be the last one to just to get a little glimpse of him. But he's gone. Okay, now what are we going to do? Go back fish? No, the Bible says... They went forth. And what did they do? We see the pursuit of their activity and the preaching of their activity. They preached. They began to proclaim. They began to proclaim. Where did they go? The place. Everywhere. They began to go everywhere. And with them, God gave them power. The Lord working with them, verse 20. We see the power of their activity and the proof of their activity confirming the word with signs following. God blessed them. And God used them. They went forth, preached everywhere. As the Bible says, confirming the word with signs following. God used these people. And you see the book of Acts, you read the book of Acts, you see what God did in their life. How God used that man who denied him three times. And his name is, and his name is Peter. And Peter would now be the person who would be the head of the church. And how we preach powerfully and how there would be thousands of people come forward and be saved oh how wonderful it was God was establishing the church through these people I wonder today how are we doing in our Christian lives a pastor recently sent me a text and he said he had a, a person in his church had a great idea of asking a question how many positive things could you say about your spouse? How many positive things could you say about your spouse? And, and, and the question was, well, I think I could say a few. Some would say, well, I could say more. But what could be said about your, spou about a, your spouse? The person said, well, I'm going to challenge them to say 2,000 2, words about your spouse. That's a lot. 2,000 positive things. I didn't say just things. Positive things. Some of you look at me like, uh-oh. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot of positive. <laughs> and the pre, and I, I wrote back to the preacher, well, I, I, gave, I gave him one. He says, that's a start. And I was thinking about that, and I thought to myself, how, how much could we write about our activity for Jesus Christ this last year? Could we write... 2,000 words of our evangelism 
If Jesus Christ told these disciples, he says, he says to them in verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's saying that to them, but in essence, he's saying the same thing to us. What could be said up to us? How would we respond to that? Could we say in 2,000 2000 words what we have done with the gospel of Jesus Christ for other people? You say, preacher, I gave some money. Praise God. What else? Could you write down experiences, opportunities, times that you talked to, times that you witnessed, times that you went somewhere, things that you did? Could you give 2,000 words, 500 words, 50 words of what you've done with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Dear friends, we need to be saved. Thank God we need to be saved. But after that, we need to sow. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness and for your grace. And I pray, Lord, this morning, God, you'd help us to recognize our great need. The great need, first of all, to know the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. If you're here today and you say, Preacher, I don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, today you've come to the right place. You know what God does not want? God does not want you to be damned. God does not want you to be in hell forever and ever. It's not his will that that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. Head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. How many of you could say this morning, preacher, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. I maybe have a mental assent, a knowledge of God, but I've never, I do not know for sure if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all I'd love to pray for? I'm not saved. I'm not sure of my salvation. Would you pray for me? I'm not saved and I'm not sure of my salvation. Would you pray for me? How many of you this morning say, Preacher, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm not the witness I need to be. I'm not the witness I need to be. Would you pray for me today? That I be the witness. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? I struggle in this area of witness. I don't know if when you ask that question of how many words... I might be able to write 25 or 50 or 100 or maybe, maybe 1,000, but 2,000? I can't think of many occasions where I talk to people about Jesus. I haven't thought about many times where I took the gospel. I do so much stuff. Let me ask you, do you give the gospel? Do you go and proclaim the gospel? Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm struggling in this area of my Christian life. I struggle. Let's stand to our feet. God has spoken to your heart this morning. You'd like to... You'd like to be saved. The altar's open. If you're struggling in your proclamation of the gospel, maybe you possess salvation, but you struggle in your proclamation. You struggle to tell others about Christ. The altar's open. Ask God this morning to help you, to give you strength, to give you grace, to give you help.